This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. When you think about artificial intelligence in pharma, your first thought is probably drug discovery or potentially automating the processes related to clinical trials. I know for me it is. We've looked in depth at the AI and life sciences ecosystem for over three years now here at Emerge. We work with many large life sciences brands and given presentations around the world on the topic, and those indeed are where a lot of the hubbub is around AI, drug development and clinical trials. But what about sales enablement for the people who drive these pharma companies forward? The pharma giants in our country are among the largest companies in the nation. Sales is a very, very big part of what they do. These are giant firms. How can we leverage AI to make salespeople more effective? Well, that's the topic of this episode. We interviewed Derek Choi, who's the co-founder and COO of Octana. Octana focuses on sales enablement in pharma. And we speak with Derek specifically about the workflows where AI can improve what a salesperson does. Obviously, we're unable to automate a salesperson altogether, but how can they allocate their time more effectively to drive results for their company and to better exceed their quota? That's what the focus of this episode is. And I think no matter what industry you're in, optimizing sales enablement with AI is kind of an exciting topic. So I'm glad we got to dive into this one with Derek. If you're interested in finding unique use cases for AI or unique trends in AI in any industry, you can download our free PDF brief called Three Ways to Discover AI Trends in Any Industry. And you can find that at emerj.com slash T3. That's T as in trends. And then the number three, emerj.com slash T3. And you can download that free PDF brief and get our guide for three ways to discover AI trends in any industry. Without further ado, this is an interesting trend and an interesting use case with Derek Choi of Octana here on this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. So Derek, we're going to dive right into um, how field reps interact with physicians. I think when people think about AI and pharma, it's almost always in the context of drug development and clinical trials. And I know when we've mapped that landscape, that's what comes to mind. You folks work on something a little bit different. In terms of sort of the core process that we're working on, can you just kind of tee up what a day in the life of a field rep looks like for pharma and sort of how they, what tools they interact with and how their job works? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it's something I think that when you, most people may not even have as much insight into. Field sales reps are a big part of how life science companies go to market. Now, of course, they also go to market via getting information directly to patients, getting information out to on websites, getting email out to physicians. But the field sales reps are a big part of building relationships with physicians and also being able to get information to physicians so that they have the right information to make treatment decisions for their patients. So a field sales rep today or in the old world, working with the district manager, their sales manager, they are going to what what is called in the industry POA meetings or plan of action meetings or cycle meetings, which are probably once a quarter or once or, or twice a year, where they're consuming what the latest brand strategy is. They're knowing, you know, what what to discuss in a product, what recent findings have been associated with that product, which physicians they should be talking to based on what's going on in the market, based on recent findings. And then they're taking that information and they're going out in their day-to-day and they're having to schedule calls with physicians and drop in on physicians in their territory to be able to deliver that information. Now, that means, you know, maybe on a Sunday night, they're looking through their week, they're putting together a calendar. Probably they're doing it on a piece of paper or in their diary. Um, They also ideally are doing it within a CRM. 
where they are looking at the physicians they should visit. They're looking at some content that may be provided to them for marketing, maybe some flyers or some um, you know, detailed information about product information. And then they're trying to work out who should I see today? How do I put my route together to be most efficient? How do I use, do I use email or do I visit someone? Do I try to give them a call? And they're trying to do that to optimize their time as well as deliver the right messages that that plan of action meeting kind of had set out for them to do. Cool. And so it's challenging. A lot of data, a lot of um, kind of organization and planning, as well as trying to figure out the right time and the right way to see a customer. Yeah, and it sounds like they're they're almost to some degree are they are they building their own strategy around what physicians to reach? I would almost presume if I work for a company like mm-hmm. Pfizer that you know they're like okay, you have this sort of Chicago region and you're working with this product line. Look, here's the physicians and and the sort of type of criteria physicians that we're looking for. Here's really the top 20 that are going to be the most important for you. And sort of here's the peripheral ones. We'd really want you to put the most attention here. It sounds like maybe they're not given the playbook. They're just told, here's the strategy and then figure it out. You're in Chicago, go have fun, you know, make money. Is it literally that open-ended most of the time for these folks that work for big Um, companies? It's usually a little bit more guided than that. But what I would say it's different depending on therapeutic area. For example, if you're talking about an oncology field sales rep, they definitely are given more leeway because there's less activity or less kind of planning that goes into, there's fewer physicians they have to talk to, and it's more important to be able to have that conversation. If you have more of a primary care product uh, where a rep has many physicians in their territory, possibly as well, multiple products in their, what they, what's called their bag to be able to discuss with a physician, yeah. then they have to have, they get a little more guidance in terms of based on data like the physician's historical writing trends or maybe their interests or their specialty area, the marketing teams, the brand teams are coming up with more detailed what's called core plans or playbooks to help that rep. But ultimately, it is that rep that has to make that decision. They have information that the marketing teams didn't have and they know their physicians and they know their territory. So it's a blend of both. Yeah. And it's what is the challenge in that particular workflow. Got it. That's very interesting. And, and you, you brought mm. up something that to me is completely new is, is sort of, you know, it makes sense. I think that, you know, I think about selling SaaS, right? Uh, there's all kinds of products out there to figure out what big companies are using, what SaaS programs already. So who's already using, mm. let's say HubSpot, if we're selling a competitive yep. product or a related product, it sounds like in pharma, there's ways to find out sort of what physicians historically have written what kind of prescriptions that that feels almost like there's HIPAA stuff going on there, but maybe there isn't because it's not necessarily tied to a patient per se. Like, is there data of that kind that's getting pulled in by outside vendors uh, different than, let's say, Pfizer Mm -hmm. that sell it to Pfizer or or is, you know, some internal team at Pfizer building that for their sales reps individually? Because that's a really unique asset, I would imagine. It is. And it's really what um, we are built on top of the ability to use data like that. So absolutely, there is data, and you're right, it's done in a very compliant way. It's anonymized, it's kind of brought up to the physician level. And this information like, you know, for a physician, which scripts of what types of drugs are being written every month? And, you know, both for a company's own products, but also what their competitor products are. For, you know, as you get into oncology type of treatments, you might know when a new patient is starting on treatment, not which new patient, but a new patient is starting. And that can help a life science company know that a physician needs to know this additional bit of information now because they have a whole bunch of patients that are reaching a certain phase of therapy. And as a result, they could really use the information about this aspect of their product. 
So that information is all out there and is, it's, it's provided to life science companies. Now the challenge is you can imagine how much data there is there. And when yeah. you have that data, how does someone take advantage of that? How do they sift through the reports? How do they know when to look for something changing? And that's really where the idea that AI and intelligence can really play a big role. Big time. Yeah. So I, I know you folks yeah. kind of have a, a software suite in that space. And obviously, AI is part of the product mix based on sort of at least what I what I know about your firm. Um, maybe we can talk now about where AI starts to make its way into that process. Obviously, AI is not changing every aspect of a field sales rep's life, but there's junctures, yeah. there's junctures in their workflows. There's parts of what they do that maybe can be leveled up a bit. Can you go through what those are? Yeah, it's a really great question. And, I, and I'll tell you a little bit of a story because when, when we started in this space, I think that we assumed we knew more about the representative workflow than we did. Hmm. And we thought the right place to optimize for them would be, you know, what is their schedule? Like, let's actually figure out if you had their schedule, the number of physicians they had to see, their routing, almost like a traveling sales, sales rep problem. Yeah, How yeah, do we classic. optimize that for, yeah. for them? And we, um, we applied, you know, predictive analytics and machine learning and optimization to try to come up with those. And we failed miserably because... What we didn't realize, and we should have realized, but we didn't, was just how much context there is to a sales representative's day-to-day activities and schedule that's outside of what a theoretically optimal outcome is. It's not just who you should be seeing. It's also travel time. It's also whether you've got appointments that you didn't put into your calendar because they're personal. It's got to do with the physician's time and what's going on, and that changes all the time. It's got to do with a lot of different factors. And so I think from that learning, we kind of learned very quickly that the right way to integrate into these people's workflow is not to give them like an ideal or optimal plan, but rather to try to provide guidance in the form of suggestions and insights that show up at discrete points in their workflow when they're putting together what their plan is for the week, when they're readjusting because they've already done one day of meetings that wasn't quite what they planned and they need to figure out who am I going to see tomorrow now or if they're trying to figure out who should I send an email to today because you know now I'm, I'm, at the, I'm in a cafe and it's time to send a couple of emails. If you can just provide those couple of suggestions which are prioritized, which reflect priorities that are coming from both the marketing team but also based on what they historically have found valuable and then you provide them with not only those priorities but the reasons why so that they can decide, should I take it or should I not take it? That combination and then showing it up at those moments is what really transforms their workflow. And I think I, I can give you some more specific examples. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to. So this, yeah. is, this is interesting. And, and again, I think all startups are going to learn what they assumed that wasn't right and you know who, who, mm. isn't, who isn't in those shoes. I mean, especially with an AI product where the technology yeah. itself is so new. And to be frank, in, in your space, you know, sales enablement in pharma AI, I mean, it's 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 such a nascent world that you know it's interesting that you guys have had to probably bump through a lot to find where those those junctures are. So now I'm imagining myself as one of these sales folks. You know, it's Sunday mm. night or Sunday evening. I'm, I'm building out my my calendar. Where can AI be used in this sea of data from my brand, the sea of data about my physicians, the sea of data about my calendar? What what, what sources are we drawing from, and what can be pulled up in front of me that's going to help me drive better results? Yeah, it's a great question. So I guess let's start with what someone is doing when they are um, going through that exercise of figuring out their plan, figuring out who they're going to talk to and what they're going to talk to them about. I think, you know, what they're trying to do is identify when, because one of the other challenging things is, you know, when sales reps are dropping into physicians' offices, sometimes it's planned, sometimes it's anchored scheduled appointments, but often they're dropping in and they're trying to make sure that when they drop in, they actually, the physicians are available. 
to see them. And also that they're talking to that physician about something that's valuable to them and that's relevant to them right now. And so an example might be, you know, if you're going to drop in a physician who's extremely busy already seeing patients, oh, yeah. if you drop in and you give them information about something, let's say, you know that they're interested in because they recently attended a symposium about this particular topic. Or if you've dropped in on something where they have, we know they have four or five patients that are starting on a particular therapy, then it's going to be relevant for them to get that information right now because they are actively thinking about that area and also thinking about solutions for their patients. And so part of what we're trying to do is expose data like that, data like, you know, when, what is likely to be relevant for this physician right now, but there's also data like the physician's script writing behavior, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of whether this physician is starting to write more of your company's brand scripts or whether or not maybe they're starting to try different treatments and then trying to go in and understand why. So those sort of trigger points and those sort of data insights are important feedbacks or things to incorporate. I'd say the other thing that needs to be incorporated, though, is just the practicality of a sales rep. You've got, you know, the rep has a territory that they're kind of trying to navigate. They have a schedule. If we are going to make a recommendation, we want to help them optimize that a little bit. So let's say they have an anchor appointment that they're meant to see a physician in the east side of New Jersey kind of on Monday. Now, if there's a recommendation coming in from, let's say, this kind of patient trigger, letting us know that physicians just started this treatment, but that physician is not close to the east side of New Jersey, instead they're on the west side, but the ref's going to be on the west side on Tuesday, we probably would want to kind of make that nudge and that recommendation on Tuesday rather than Monday, because a single day is not going to matter. And if you provide that kind of like insight and that kind of kind of prioritization as part of those nudges you're, you're giving, it makes what the representatives get feel right. And so they are more likely to adopt them. You can kind of prioritize the right ones for them and you're going to have more impact. Yeah. That there's, so there's a lot here, Derek. I appreciate you giving us yeah. the backdrop. There's two big categories of questions that I have. And the first one is around where AI kind of fits into the mix. Clearly, some of what we're talking about maybe doesn't require AI, and that's fine, honestly. I mean, a solution is a solution, in my opinion. If AI is part of one little bit and it's not part of a lot, or maybe it's part of none, I mean, so long as it gets the job done, it's fine. As you're talking, what I'm thinking is, okay, the physician going to this conference or writing these scripts, there's some possibility that NLP is combing the web to be able to pull in that data and then be able to have that mm -hmm. available for the rep. Maybe not though. Maybe it's already available and then we're just yanking it in. There might be some process where, you know, we can kind of, you know, you mentioned recommendations. So being able to kind of prompt recommendations. Again, that wouldn't necessarily imply AI. What, what, what parts of what you were just talking about? I'm seeing someone step in, sort of be informed, be reminded of things, being updated yeah. with bits of info that are going to help them. What parts of that might require artificial intelligence and how? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think we actually, and it comes down to your definition of artificial intelligence. Because yeah, we really true. see, you know, AI as, you know, a system that's able to create human-like or human-enhancing kind of technology. And we focus on, and we see there's a several components of technology that we use to accomplish that. And there's one part, as you mentioned, that is not typically considered AI, which would just be business rules, right? There's a lot you can accomplish with business rules to allow the knowledge of experts to be codified. And so what we do here is we go in and we speak with the brand teams, we speak with the best sales reps, we codify their rules into the system, we connect them to data, and they drive some of the recommendations that we provide. And that's really important because sometimes the data is not 
good enough as a starting point. Yeah. So you you need something like this to get something be valuable all the way from the start, and also it acts as constraints that then some of the AI operates within. So AI then does play a role too. And the next part we think of is machine learning, because the machine learning is definitely able to take advantage of the information, like all the historical interactions you've had with a physician, to identify ideal messages that they respond to. Ideal timing, like does a physician tend to open emails in the morning or in the evening?、Um, do they prefer visits from reps on Tuesdays or Thursdays? And then also channels: do they prefer emails, or do they prefer visits, or do they prefer attending events? And those things you can learn by going back into the data and applying machine learning to try and predict for physicians what the ideal engagement is. And when you use that in the right way, what we found is you can define your business logic. Or constraints, and over time you can use more of the machine learning so that you don't have to define as many discrete rules, and you can therefore have more efficiency there, but also learn some of that micro-level insight that you wouldn't have been able to get from an expert trying to glean it from the data themselves. That's two aspects. I'll, I'll keep going because there's actually a couple more. Sure, yeah. The third sure, one, yeah, we think is really important is optimization, because once you've let's say identified the right business rules and you've got some predictions, what you want to then do is be able to Prioritize those theoretical outcomes against real-world constraints, like what the limited time that a rep has, as well as what the limited attention the physician has. And the very last thing that we think is important that makes up kind of the technology that powers this is explainability. Because if you're going to make this recommendation to a health representative, you want to let them know, you know, why you're recommending it to them, and give them the context they need to act on that. And so we have technology too to ensure that. We can expose a reason why, actual data points, and then also provide that BI back to the decision to people governing the platform to know what's working and what isn't. And so those elements there, the machine learning part is what you know you might typically consider AI as predictions that are coming out from a whole bunch of things we're doing there. But actually, we think that the combination of of all of those actually represents you know AI because you're actually then having a system that's able to kind of recommend something that is human enhancing. And is able to really help someone, you know, act and think in a much more data-driven way. One hundred percent. I think that machine learning is, you know, one of many tools in a tool belt.、Mm. There's hardly any products that could say all we are is a set of algorithms. All, all we are is statistical methods, right? Picking、Absolutely. where you pick you where where you want to interject in the workflow, picking something that can actually be measured in terms of improvement. Understanding the process. I mean, so much of that is more important than the algorithm. But two things I'll clarify, and then we'll get into、mm. future vision as we wrap up on this this episode. The first is around the, the sort of business rules. I think a lot of people think of that as like the the unsexy part of AI, but obviously,、yeah. it's still. Super valuable, you know. Sometimes we're not going to、yeah. have an ML system that's just going to help, you know, structure things. We need people to structure things, extract things from experts, so that it, now the、yeah. the machine can make those decisions automatically. Can you walk us through what are the kind of data in the world that needs to be analyzed or assessed by what kind of people to turn into business rules within the system? Can you just really quickly touch that? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the context of what we're focused on in terms of influencing the sales rep workflows. Okay. Because you've got number one, the brand strategy. So you've got the people who are coming up with, you know, which physicians should be targeted, what messages should should be used, and what、um, channels are most effective. They're analyzing all that interaction data themselves, just you know, in in a historical way they have in the past,、yep. and they are coming up with their strategy that's going into these cycle meetings, and it's go. And so we work with them as part of our process. We have them as part of a workshop, and we understand what is your strategy this. 
quarter? Is it to which, which physicians do you want to talk to? What content do you want to use? And those things get codified into a system. At the same time, the other side, which is really important we've found to getting adoption, is getting the top sales representatives into the room. And there we're codifying things like, what are those people doing? What data do they pay attention to in order to be successful at doing their yeah. job? What types of practices do they have? Like, what do they do if they have a spare moment? What are they looking at to try to, to, try to decide what they're going to do next? And if we codify both of those elements into the platform as rules to start with, when we get to rolling this out and trying to provide this sort of insight to people and getting them to adopt it, if they believe that it's number one kind of designed by the people, by their peers who are the best, and also already reflects the strategy that they're being asked to execute anyway, this becomes something that is super easy, relevant for them, as well as very useful. It saves them time. It kind of gets them more successful in terms of their, their goals because it matches up with what their sense of alignment is. And then they start adopting it. And then that starting point then is a great place from which to start evolving and improving those recommendations to go towards the theoretical optimal using machine learning yeah. and other Okay, this is really helpful, Derek. I appreciate the clarity there. Um, yeah, it feels like, you know, hypothetically, you could have an infinitely complex pachinko machine where you drop the balls in at the top and people just do whatever they want with their time. They do whatever mm. they want with the brand materials. Or you could figure out when the marketing people crunch the data, they figure out the cadence of visits. They figure out the kind of collateral that's working. Yeah. Maybe they figure out the email to phone call ratios that are kind of safer versus like that are burning people out. Um, and maybe some of that is a little bit intuitive, but maybe some of it is data-driven. It's a combination. And then you get the yep. sales folks in there, figure out what they're doing. And then when we're going to suggest you know, routes or visits or calls or emails, we can sort of do so within the constraints of, of what really has been discerned to work best. And, and I imagine that's to some degree different client to client if people are selling an antidepressant versus you know, some bone cancer treatment. You know, it's it's got to be quite a different say- ballgame. Very, yeah, it is very different. And it's even different by every, to every brand therapeutic area you mentioned, but we also operate in every, in every major region. We have, you know, customers in the US, in Europe, in China, in Japan, in South America. And the, the different factors that apply to the market, there's also a lot of regulatory implications oh, yeah. that are quite different in life sciences. And so all that needs to be codified into the system. Yeah, so, and, and actually, we actually support customers across every major region. We have customers in Japan, in the US, in China, in Europe, in South America. And we find that those uh, use cases and those priorities are very different by those dimensions as well. And that's really key because you have to have a system that's flexible enough to be able to capture all of those different nuances, but also be scalable. Got it. So, the part around leveraging ML to sort of optimize emails and whatnot. Um, mm. or even email timing, you know, I'm in relatively close touch with, with pretty high, high level ML people at companies like HubSpot, for example, I happen to, yep. to know how, in all frankness, how genuinely difficult that is. And, 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 and mm-hmm. that, that feels really, really tough to, to imagine exactly how that's working out. But let's go ahead and do this as, as we, if we've painted the picture of today and where, you know, AI and, and sort of different kinds of workflows and, and expert systems can sort of structure a field sales reps experience. When you think Derek about, how that's really going to transform in the next five years. You think about what a field sales rep's life is going to be like as things get more and more intelligent. You're clearly thinking about your own company. You guys have been at this for quite some time. What do you think is that bigger zeitgeist we're headed towards? How will how will the field sales rep's life be different as intelligence makes more and more of its way into these processes? Absolutely. I think it's a 
Really good question. And I think, you know, in some ways I'll tie it back to what's going on right now or, or what, what, what has been happening with COVID-19. Because, I mean, we've seen for a long time, everyone has been trying to move towards more personalization for customers. And that's, that's in the life science industry, but that's, that's really everywhere. And I think with COVID-19, we've seen a dramatic acceleration of that evolution and also um, the evolution towards using non-personal as well as personal interactions, but also that bar for personalization increasing. And as that bar increases, really then the need for a sales representative to be able to cut through the noise, which is just going to continue to increase the amount of distraction that's going to be there, the number of channels that you can reach someone through, what they're expecting to get when they reach those channels and how tailored and relevant it is for them. In order to do that, they're going to have to leverage more data and they're going to have to be able to get insight from that data. And so it really, so, so the role of the representative is going to change to be able to, number one, use more than one channel to be able to interact with their customers. Number two, orchestrate other channels made available to them. And number three, be able to very quickly get that insight into what is the right way to reach my customer to be most effective and most relevant for them. And that help from AI, from kind of the, the type of in, analytics and intelligence we're talking about, that help becomes even more critical to representatives in the future. Yeah, you know, I, when I when I think about this, this is a tough problem, Derek. Um, you know, it's it's an ambitious aim. I think about how exactly we're going to measure the impact of this. You know, I think about a fraud, you know, fraud mm -hmm. detection solution, and the answer is somewhat simple. I think about the the sales cycle. You know, we're going to games of golf. We're buying these people bottles of whiskey. I mean, this is pharmaceutical sales, man. This is pretty complicated stuff. There's a lot of human action going on here. Um, the Absolutely. way we're gonna the way we're gonna measure people that use this solution make more sales versus people that use this solution would feel like it would be like a you know an 18 month split test of half of our oncology folks and half of our you know depression medication folks using you know this approach versus whatever the heck they were doing before you know you obviously have to think about this yeah. for the sake of your company how are we measuring impact here is something so with so many qualitative elements it's a really great question and really important you can imagine every engagement we focus so deeply on delivering impact oh, and value yeah. Oh, yeah. and it's actually what's kind of driven us to be able to scale our customers so we actually break this down to a couple of areas typically the first thing is really demonstrating value to the decision makers themselves so for the sales representatives are we finding that they are engaging and using the the suggestions that we provide them we typically aim for and we do achieve around a 60 to 70 percent engagement rate not acceptance rate but engagement where they are looking at the recommendations and they are saying, yeah, they're taking a bunch of them and they're dismissing some of them, giving some feedback. But that engagement and that adoption is key. And that's the first thing that we look for. The second thing is then what their satisfaction. Are we seeing that they are you know, saving themselves time? Are we seeing that they are enjoying their CRM and their tools more because they are super powered by kind of this intelligence layer? And we typically see around a you know, 30 to 40% increase in that rep satisfaction. So that's the first layer that we look at. Then the next layer then I think comes down to execution of the intended strategy and tactics. You can imagine a lot of this is driven by marketing teams who are saying, you know, I feel like the right things I want are reps to target these sorts of positions or use these sorts of messages. So are we seeing that the plan execution increases and um, in terms of like how close to the target activity is it? And we tend to always measure that. We see it increases typically between 10 to 15% on average. But actually, interestingly, when you break that down by cohort, you can start doing cohort analyses to see whether, you know, if you divide your sales representatives into like the top 
versus the bottom 50% of representatives in terms of performance, you may find that actually a lot of that benefit starts showing up in the middle to the lower performance who are now being provided with some of that intelligence to help them act and think more like what the top performers are doing. So that's one additional layer. Um, the next layer is actually looking at engagement with your customers. So you can look at whether or not you, you know, they are spending more time with you when you're trying to engage with them, whether they're opening the emails that you send them, whether they're attending the events that you invite them to. And we look at that. And ultimately, as you mentioned, it does kind of drive the top line sales. And you, know, we, you are able to do that where you can do control group analyses, like you say, and we do this with our customers. We recommend when we start, you put aside a group of representatives that don't have access to the tool and you can give it to another group and um, you measure it for a minimum of six months to be able to see what that impact is before you choose to scale. And when you do that, then you know we've seen and our customers have seen that they see a five to 15% increase in sales, which is really huge. And, but it's not ordered, as we mentioned, due to machine learning, the combination of that plus the rules, also plus kind of the change management that happens when you try to yeah. deploy a solution like this. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of the value is in just how much thinking goes into structuring. I mean, just just doing that expert system element by itself seems like it's going to drive a tremendous amount of value. Sometimes the beauty of AI is it forces people to think in a systematic way in terms of how the the machine should decide. And that, by consequence, helps people act more effectively. So, all right, we went into a little bit of overtime on this one, Derek, but I love the points. I, I love your frankness on how you folks are trying to address it as everybody who's listening in right now the measurement of the ROI of machine learning system is never easy, but finding these proxies, finding these waypoints, finding these anchor points is critical to selling, measuring, deploying. And Derek, I think you've done a great job of describing it. So thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Big thank you to Derek for being able to be with us on this episode. And thank you to you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you being here. And we try to improve the show as much as we can to keep you engaged and use your ideas as the fuel for the future of our editorial calendar. If you want to make sure you never miss a beat, then stay in touch with us on social. Pretty easy to find E-M-E-R-J on Twitter or Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. Stay connected. Stay plugged in. Drop a comment. I'm often going to be commenting myself when we have good discussions going on the company accounts. So feel free to stay in touch and stay connected. And otherwise, stay subscribed because next Tuesday, we're going to be flying back into a next episode here. 